Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, good people and inhabitants of planet Earth, both foreign and domestic, welcome to the Dear Human Paradox. I'm your host, Darius Riddick, and I would like to thank you for joining me in what is nominally the next stage of evolution for humankind. You know, I say it pretty much every time, but you could be anywhere doing anything, but yet you are here for some odd reason if you are just new to the show and have no flipping clue what's going on welcome to the descent into madness but furthermore the start of establishing a happier healthier way of life for future generations because what is life if you can't create better quality for those that come after you. And that is the goal by improving one's scope, one's umbrella of influence in this idea of health equals wealth we created for the next few generations, because whether we accept it or not, the willingness and adaptation of change of those that came before us or our predecessors allowed us, their successors, to do what we do today. It allows you to listen to this show, allows me to record this show, and allows us to take these principles and the tools that we talk about and put into practice and put into action. So before we get started on this day in history, and ooh boy, I forgot the date, uh, <laughs> 1982, um, April 24, 1982, Jane Fonda releases her first workout video, which I just, for a second, is just quite comical to, to think about how fast um, the uh, commercial exercise has evolved. In four decades, it's gone from something that was somewhat obscure to being available on every network, every platform, every street corner you go to, you see some form of this idea of public exercise. And for those of you who don't know um, Jane Fonda and her influence, uh, I suggest looking into the way it has developed because it's it's not just like one of those things where it kind of seems like it kind of happened overnight, but there's a, a whole process that went into the acceptance of it. And most women that have some sort of platform where they're able to dance or have a public aerobics class or um, even just c commercial exercise in general from where gyms have evolved, can dedicate the the mass media acceptance to Jane Fonda, but um, that's not why we're here today. Today, uh, we want to discuss a concept that we uh, started with in the last episode, right? This idea of preparation and how preparation not only ties into um, athletes or war, but just to daily life in general. And, and we kind of had a little bit of obscurity between preparation and time management um, in that's on me because I get so excited about the topic and uh, this idea of how we all have 24 hours in a day. But uh, we're, we're, we're going to dive a little bit more into this idea of preparation. But if you don't have an idea of what we're talking about, then you have to go back and listen to the previous episode so you can kind of get spun up and then come back and listen to this one. So with everything that we talked about in the previous episode and leading to now. We mentioned that there is an acronym, and this acronym is designed to allow one, whether they be sedentary, enthusiast, trained, or elite athlete, to uh, 
harness this idea of preparation and really understand how preparation can improve their performance and their quality of life. So this acronym is not something that you're going to find in public or adopted literature. This is acronym is something that I'm providing as uh, professional and personal research and experience and that I can guarantee that if used used correctly will help uh, improve quality of life and, and furthermore uh, separate the difference between <laughs> a ragtag group of misfits and a turn of the century army or a ragtag individual and a turn of the century soldier. And this acronym is ARCH. Now, I never really know whether to say ARC or ARCH, but I think because there's a CH, it's A-R-C-H. That is probably, I think from now on, I'm going to go with ARCH. But the acronym ARCH actually stands for asking questions research, competitive spirit, and humility. Now, uh, 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 from a very bird's eye view, all of those uh, words, <laughs> Jesus, all of those words are are pretty simple for one to understand, right? But it's, it's the combination of them that creates uh, the arch, if you will, the arch of, of preparation. And um, one thing that I, that I definitely will say, as I say with most, is that this is not something that you can just learn and then talk about. And it's, you know, it, it's good to go. Every single tool that we present in the Dear Human Paradox is going to be in some way backed by science, but it's also going to be backed by personal application. Meaning if, one does not implement it in their lives to actually see it through, right? Then they will never understand how it could help them uh, reach new heights or get to the next level of human performance or improve their quality of life or even improve lives for others, right? If you don't, if you don't use it, it loses its capability. So uh, I think that is something definitely important to highlight. So back to the arch, right? The first A. Asking question, the first A, the only A, the only A, asking, I promise I can spell. I'm pro I promise if you're listening to this, I am literate. Okay. I just, there's a lot going on in my head at one time. Okay. So the A is asking questions. Uh, so it's pretty obvious um, what that means, but asking questions is, is, is crucial. It's important. Um, and, and, and where I found that it was most important, and I did talk about it a couple episodes ago, I believe, um, from my military services, you know, when, when you are in charge of the fate of others, it is, there is no such thing as asking too many questions and there's no such thing as asking, um, but there is, sorry, there's no such thing as asking too many questions, but there is a such thing as asking too little questions. Because it could be those one or two questions that you don't ask that could keep the critical pieces of information covered that you really need um, to get every, every everyone home safely. And though not everyone has that level of responsibility, there's no reason why questions can't be treated with the same weight. Now, it, there's two types of there's two important aspects of questions to keep in mind, and that's quantity and quality. Because the amount of questions you ask and the quality of questions you ask both matter. Because it it sometimes people don't even know that they have the information unless the question is asked. Um, because some it just collects cobwebs. You know, it, some people learn some things and they don't use it, and it just sits there. But when you ask the right questions, it's like, oh, okay, now I understand. And 
one thing to keep in mind with that is there are always there's always someone that's smarter or stronger or that has done it before and has that level of experience. But if you don't ask and most of the time people aren't just going to volunteer information. So asking questions is going to be crucial, especially when it comes to preparation, because <clears throat> For example, if you're going to war, if you're going into a combat zone, a new theater, if you're going in, if you're going into it without asking questions, you are quite literally a shepherd who is blindfolded, leading sheep into a wolf's den. Chances are you are not the first person to exist in that austere environment. So the bet what you can do to give yourself the best possible chance of success is talking to the people that may have been that may have been there, talking to the locals, talking to the to the the geographic professionals or even doing research, doing research on the area, which is going to be an excellent. <laughs> uh, but asking questions about the area that you're going into allows you to kind of remove that blindfold and and lead with a sense of understanding what dangers and what hazards may be ahead not in the sense to avoid them but in the sense to um uh, um perform better risk management or operational risk management and to uh understand the area a little bit better that allows you to maneuver and operate in it now that may seem very vague but <clears throat> You'd be surprised how many athletes or how many uh, guys that I've just even been in the field with who choose to just, you know, I'm just going to do what I'm told. And, you know, that's it. I'm not going to listen to anything else or do anything else. Just one way, one road. And I, I will tell you that that is not the that is not going to set you up for the best possible or best chance of success, both in war, in life and in sports performance in general, especially when it comes to uh, joining into a new sport. Right. Because. If you're joining a sport, you're definitely not the first person to do it, <laughs> unless for some reason you're creating a sport, which good luck. But there are going to be people that have been there, done that for decades and decades and decades. And unless you ask those questions, it's very rare that you'll get that information. I didn't. I mean, I'm talking about from cradle to grave, from top rung to bottom rung, all the way up the totem pole. There's no such thing as asking too many questions, because even if you're looked at or looked down upon or frowned upon for asking too many questions, at least you got the ability to um, get as much information as you needed to be prepared for the next step. Now, I already alluded to it because I kind of gave it away. I apologize. But the R research in that we also talked about as far as asking questions and research go hand in hand. But you don't have to ask questions in order to do research and but asking questions has to be done before the research, because when you ask the questions, it gives you the direction of where you can go to do the research. And let's say um, for sport, who is the top person in your sport, in your division, in your competitive class? And what makes that person the top dog, the alpha, the sigma? How did they get to where they are? What makes them the greatest player in that area currently, if not of all time. And there's so much public information out there now that if this person is as good as they appear to be, then obviously there's going to be some information out there about how they got to that level. So when you're stepping into a new field to prepare yourself and put yourself on the best possible course, um, especially when it comes to performance is doing the research, because if you don't do the research, of course, the way human cognition works, there are going to be things that you learn and adapt to. But why not give you know your 
total self the best possible chance at winning in, in that area. The C, competitive spirit. If you don't have a competitive spirit, then how can you even win? Um, some and I got this actually from some of some of the man greatest athletes I've had just the pleasure to 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 work with, to be around, and to um, to watch their athletic age evolve and in their experience in general. And one thing that they uh, truly held in common was this idea of a, a competitive spirit. Many of the time, um, when it comes to competing, people make the mistake of thinking that like as long as you get better, then that is what it means to compete. And in some cases that does apply in regular life that does apply. But when it comes to, uh, large scale sports performance or any, any competition, if you will, there are other athletes out there <laughs> that are doing whatever it freaking takes to win. And they are extremely competitive. Uh, in, in, you know, they're, they're going all out. Some, some athletes have worked their entire lot. They've, they've escaped poverty. They've escaped, uh, rape. They've escaped abuse. They've escaped, uh, I mean, un, unspeakable situations to get where they are. So the, they have made it to where they are because of their competitive spirit. And, they are not going to let anyone or anything beat them in their own realm of performance. So the difference between the two is one athlete acknowledges their limitations, but also acknowledges where they came from and where they're going. The other one doesn't want to compete. Um, and even if they both have the same inherent traits, that competitive spirit could be the separating factor between first and second place because there are a lot of physiological mechanisms that come with that uh, competitive spirit that we're not going to talk about today, but just completely dismissing the idea of a competitive spirit is going to, I would say, without getting too much into it, inhibit those physiological mechanisms. Now, whether that be uh, neural or hormonal, I mean, it really depends on the user, but understand that a competitive spirit in terms of preparation is what's going to uh, say if that one person, you know, it's it's midnight and they're exhausted and they they know that there's a competition tomorrow or maybe they just have to go train tomorrow for a competition that's coming up in six weeks. Uh, someone with a competitive spirit is going to realize like, hey, what is my what is my competition going to do? Are they going to go to bed and just say, you know, I, I'll leave it until the next, you know, the next day and then I'll try to get it together with a little time I have in the morning or with a, are they going to be preparing tonight, getting everything together, getting their mind right, getting their gear economy situated, and they're going to be ready to take on the day tomorrow? You know, th those little changes, not theoretical, but literal, those little those little changes is what separates uh, trained athletes from elite athletes, because it's the acknowledgement that though the goal is to just get better, they're are others that are competing in my same division or sport, or if I'm just trying to get to the next level, I have to have some sort of, you know, enhancement thought that if I'm not ready to compete, there's no need to do this. And unfortunately, if that doesn't sit well with you or whoever is listening to this, 
then competing is not for you because competitive spirit is inherent to just about every single thing that uh, someone wants to achieve. Because where are you for for the sake of argument, where you want to see yourself, whether that's moving up in the company or that's winning a certain division or a trophy or getting to a certain level of success, right? There are people competing for that same exact thing, whether or not you want to acknowledge it. And there's only limited spots. So if you're not willing to compete, then the chances are the person who is willing to compete or has that competitive spirit is going to get it. And even that, right? If we apply it to teamwork in a combat location, it's you versus them. Um, and I'm not typically one about division, but, and, and, and there's also a lot of politics that go into it, but you want to make it home safely. That in itself is a competitive spirit. Now, whether that be uh, law enforcement, uh, a combat location, or if you're, you know, doing secret squirrel stuff with special agents or, or secret service, um, you don't want to be the reason why someone doesn't make it home nor do you want to be the reason why you don't make it home. So the competitive spirit in that in, in that sense is, you know what? I want everyone to get home to their family safety safely. So the mission has to be accomplished with this idea of risk management that people are not indispensable. And I'm willing to do what it takes to make sure everybody makes it home safe. And going into a war zone without that kind of mindset of like, you know, we're going back home to our families is, you know, that, that's that's a very dangerous mindset to have. OK, so understandably, competitive spirit applies to every rung in some way, shape or form. And then the last one, ladies and gentlemen, of the preparation arch is humility and why I felt like this was so important to kind of finish off the arch is. Sometimes things happen. Um, and Murphy's law exists, which Murphy's law states that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So it's the, not the expectation of cynicism, but it's the, the, the acknowledgement that, that things can go south, um, without our direct control. And with that being said, we don't control every outcome, but we can control the mentality and how we respond to it. So because of that humility and that, that, that outward projection, um, uh, is, is best demonstrated during a loss. Because one thing I found that is, that really defines someone's strength in character is not how they act when they win, but how they act when they lose, especially if you have done every single thing in your power to win, if you did the training, you did the preparation, if you're if you're in some sort of sport, you know, you did the conditioning, you did the nutrition, you did the yeah, extensibility and flexibility work, you did all your mobility drills, uh, you watched all the videos, you did your research, you asked all the questions, you know, you had that competitive spirit, you want to win, but when it came down to it, you got second place or you got third place. What that athlete demonstrates after that loss really says a lot about their character. And, you know, we mentioned it about athletes a lot, but understanding the only difference between an enthusiast and an athlete is the level of training. So because 
hopefully <laughs> everyone listening to this is human. Uh, humans inherently are trainable, right? They have a certain level of trainability depending on their mentality towards it. So you can pretty much train them to do or be anything. Um, so if anybody can be trained to be an athlete, that means anybody can have the certain of level of character that it takes to not only experience what it's like to win, but experience what it's like to lose. Because if you don't know what it's like to lose, then you truly don't know what it's like to win. And athletes who haven't lost are really just kind of skating by and just in hopes that they don't. Right. But <clears throat> if you don't know what it's like to lose, the feeling is devastating, especially when you have put in the work time and time again, hour after hour after hour, minute after minute, after preparation, after night, after drill, after session. And, you know, things just don't work out the way you want them to. Now that happens, uh, unfortunately, um, lots of the time in many situations, right? In job promotions, I'm sure, uh, there are a lot of you listening now can understand and, you know, uh, there was a promotion that you were the best candidate for, but for some reason, whatever that reason may be, you didn't get it. Um, there may be a competition that you know you were number one, but for some reason, you know, you came in second. Um, there may be someone that you were trying to woo over <laughs> and for some reason um, they chose the other person. Uh, I'm sure that there's many situations that we can all make up that in some way relate to personal life. Um, and because of that, right, this this level of emotional control is is truly important when it comes to the devastation of loss. Um, but because of that, it adds to this idea of preparation because it's the acknowledgement, like we mentioned before, of best case, worst case and most likely scenario. Um, not everything is always going to go in in one's favor. And that's I think I think we 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 beat that pretty well. But preparing the mindset for the the fact that it could happen, even though you have the competitive spirit and you want to, when you go out and give it your all, the fact that it could happen is the, the, the humility part of the preparation. And by dictionary definition, right? Humility is not going to match up exactly to what it is, what we're talking about. But like we always say, right? The tool is truly up to the user and how you use it, whether ineffective or effective, belongs to you but with that being said ladies and gentlemen until next time stay durable my friends <laughs>